Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. Thank you. How is everybody? You guys almost got caught in the middle on that song. You know that I'm going to clap, I'm not going to clap thing, and so it was just kind of weak. <laughs> so uh, we're talking about wilderness, and we're talking about fighting in the wilderness, and what it feels like inside of a human being to feel conflicted inside. Thankfully, most of us, you go to church, don't feel conflicted inside. We, we're all resolved. <laughs> Do want to give a little shout out to Mike Liam. I don't know if anybody shouted you out yet, but uh, wave your hand at us for a second, will you? There he is. Whether you know or not, we've been praying for Mike. Mike and a team went into the Ukraine in the last couple of days and rescued orphans there and uh, did some amazing humanitarian work. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. You know, sometimes you think, I wish somebody would just do something. And then people do. And that's, that's good. So I saw a post on Facebook yesterday, I, I thought it was interesting, it said, the men have had their turn, let the women do it. And there's the answer to the problems. And don't you wish it were that something, I mean, none of us would argue with the first part, the men have had their chance and they, they haven't done well, amen? So let's just let the women do it. Because all women are good. I don't know, you're all like right now going, I don't know where this is going. He, <laughs> he, went, he went away for a while, he came back, I don't know. I don't know what he's talking about yet. Just be patient, hang on. Because I think you could, you could cast that in a lot. I could post later today, the old people have had their turn, let the young people do it. Amen? Because old people are weird. Aren't we? Aren't we? Young people are bright. They got ideas. They got stuff. They, I mean, I do believe that the youth of today are smarter at their age than any of us were when we were their age. Amen? Let's just let them do it. We'll all just go home. There is a mentality, isn't there? There is a mentality that says, well, the people that are doing it are not doing it right, so let's get rid of them and let's let some other people who are not them do it. And so that might, that might be any number of things we could do. We could, we could create a pejorative idea about people, no matter who they are. That can be their party that they represent. It can be the age group they're from. It can be their gender. It can be their race, their culture. But what's the problem with that mentality? The problem is that the issue with human beings and the problem in the culture lies within each one of us. Amen? It has nothing to do with your gender. There are good men and there are good women, and there are bad men and there are bad women, and there are struggling men and there are struggling women. Amen? Amen. Struggling old people, struggling young people. 
struggling people of every race and creed, struggling Christians, struggling Muslims, struggling people all over the world. Amen? Hard to tell the good ones from the bad ones. Amen? No, it was a weak amen. Nowhere is it more difficult than when we look in the mirror. Because that's a mark of our humanity. That's what happens to human beings. There's good in us and bad in us, and we're, we're a little messed up. And when we get in the wilderness, when we get in these places of uncertainty, when we get in places where we, we don't know exactly what to do or how to do it, we get a little cranky. Amen? We fight. We, we, we get to where we're a little bit volatile. We get to where we're a little bit outspoken about our own opinions. And bad things happen in the wilderness. It happens inside this fight when we don't know what to do, when we don't know how to express our faith. And of all the times that we need clarity, of all the times that, that we need some way to think logically, to, to lean into our faith, to really rest on God's Word, it's in this place of wilderness. But the fighting in the wilderness makes us not think clearly. It makes us not lean into our logic. It makes us lean away from what we know and understand and what God's Word has taught us. Instead, we tend to strike off on our own. We tend to try to figure it out in real time. We, we make rash decisions. We jump into things. So far, it's all good news, isn't it? James talks about this conflict going on inside human beings. Talks about what it looks like and what it feels like. And if you haven't really read or studied the book of James, let me just get you a little warning here at the beginning. Uh, don't read it. It's... It's impossible to misunderstand what he's saying, and he's totally rude. He speaks directly to how human beings think and feel, and it's disturbing. So let me read to you from James. <laughs> James 1.5, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Well, I guess I'm out. I mean, that, those are tough words, aren't they? Those are hard words to say out loud. If you lack wisdom, you should ask God. But when you ask, you, you should have faith and, doubt, and not have any doubts. How, how many times have you asked and had all faith and no doubts, because a double-minded person is unstable in all of their ways. I don't know, sometimes I think I need to just trust God, and I'm going to watch for the open door, and I'm going to look for the sign, and, and, and then God will tell me how to get through this fight in the wilderness. He'll, he'll inform me, and I'll just follow along. You know, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Older people help the younger people. And then I, I hear some preacher get up and say, it's not about that. It's about storming the gates of heaven and tearing down the, the walls and, and, and aggressively going after what God has for you. And You can't sit in the background and wait. You've got you to go get it. God meets you in your conquest. And then I go, well, I'm, I'm even double-minded at church. I can't decide whether to wait or to go to look for a open door or to kick the closed door down. I, I don't know which thing to be doing. And of course, James is not finished yet. He goes on. 
chapter 4, verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So James says he has the audacity then to not just talk about the fact that I need to ask in a certain way and I need to have faith and not doubt. Then he goes on into this whole thing. Well, the reason that you have this conflict, the reason that when you're in the wilderness and you don't know exactly what to do, that you get into this fight and that you quarrel with each other is because you have desires. You have things you want. You want certain outcomes. But it isn't just about what you want, it's about the motives behind what you want. Don't you hate it when the scripture gets into the motives behind our behavior? I mean, our behaviors are bad enough. But when you get into the motives behind our behaviors? And so what goes on in the wilderness for you? In the frustration and the conflict. In the conflict of what's going on around you, what's going on in the world, what's going... When we get into those stressful situations, we fight. We fight with other people. We fight with God. But mostly we fight with ourselves. We struggle to figure it all out. To get an answer. To get something that is defined. Something we can get our brains around. So the best thing I can tell you is this. We're not the first people who have gone through this. In fact, this is, this is symptomatic of what it means to be a human being. From whatever part of the world or the planet or the, the culture that you come from, this is something that goes on inside of human beings. Trying to figure out what to do, how to have a fulfilling, meaningful life. And by the way, we kind of all want the same things. Did you know that? We want to love and be loved. We want a world that's fair. We want justice. We want mercy. We want the systems to work. We want our lives to have significance. We want to own our own brokenness but not hate ourselves. We want to find a redemptive path. We all kind of want the same things. And we're not the first people to get stuck in the process. In fact, some people do it in spectacular ways. Just a couple of thoughts. Here's a great philosophical thought for you. It has to do with what we do when we're in the middle of the conflict. I beg your pardon... I never promised you a rose garden. That somewhere in our life we have to come to an understanding that life was never intended to be all wonderful and good and clear and fulfilling and meaningful and we are not supposed to get a warm fuzzy every single day. Amen? That'll matter. B.J. Gallagher writes these words, Another reason we have difficulty acting in our own best interest is because immediate pleasure exerts a stronger influence than concern for long-term health. Chocolate now is more appealing than weight loss later. (laughs) Can I get an amen? (laughs) A purchase today feels more pleasurable than a savings account balance at the end of the month. That depends on who you are. We Americans in particular have a hard time delaying gratification. We want what we want when we want it. Now, Ralph Waldo Emerson once said these words, The purpose of life is not to be happy. It is to be useful, to be honorable, to be compassionate, to have it make some difference that you have lived and lived well. Is that a part of your mentality? 
There's a part of your mentality to go, I, I don't know that I'm supposed to be happy all the time. I don't know that that's the goal. Part of why I get lost in the wilderness and part of why I have the fight and part of why I get mad at God or why I fight with God or I fight with myself or I fight with others is because I want to be happy. And I want to be happy when? Now. That's a new mentality. I don't know, culturally speaking. <laughs> there used to be more of a mentality that said, no, we're going to work hard and sacrifice. And, you know, blah, 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 blah. I mean, Ralph Waldo Emerson, you know, your life's not supposed to be happy. It's supposed to be valuable. You're supposed to make a difference. It's by nature, things that matter, it's hard. Martin Luther King said these words, we must accept finite disappointment, but we must never lose infinite hope. We must accept finite disappointment, but we must never lose infinite hope. We're not the first people caught in this struggle. Let me tell you a story. The children of Israel have been released from the bondage of Egypt. They haven't just been released from the bondage of Egypt. They have been spectacularly released from the bondage of Egypt. The plagues have come, and finally, in complete submission and surrender, Pharaoh has said, let them go. So that they not only exit the scene of slavery in Egypt, they plunder the country. They leave 600,000 strong with the wealth of Egypt in their hands. They are carrying away the wealth of the greatest, most powerful nation on earth. It's pretty spectacular. The power of God manifests, and they get away... And they begin to complain. They begin to complain uh, uh, about the fact that now they're out of the place of security and they don't know what to do. And, and they begin to complain against Moses. This is like right away. And then they find out that Pharaoh's coming after them and Pharaoh's army. And so Moses prays and the Red Sea parts and they walk through on dry land. And then Moses prays and the seas close on the armies of Pharaoh and they are free. They are delivered. There's no more pursuit. There's no more army. And then they complain because there's no water. And their complaint is consistent. We should have stayed where we were. We were better off where we were than we are now. And they complain that there's no water. And so God provides water from a rock. Nice. And then they say, but we're hungry. And God begins to send in the morning quail and manna. They get up in the morning. Now, I want you to be with me on this. They get up in the morning, and there is meat and bread. God is such a loving God that he did not send a salad to the people <laughs> in Israel. Amen? It is in the Bible. When God sets the table for breakfast, it's meat and bread. It's very simple. <laughs> now, in the middle of all of this, there is a pillar of fire that appears every night to guide them on their way. And every morning, there is a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way. When you talk about the faithful manifestation of God's presence, they can see it, they can touch it, they can taste it, they can feel it. The presence of God is vivid to them, powerfully vivid to them. They travel through the wilderness. Here's trivia. You don't have to answer out loud. It's a rhetorical question. How long does it take for them to get from the, the enslavement in Egypt 
to Mount Sinai where God's presence is shaking the mountain. God's presence is rumbling, there's fire, there's lightning, there's smoke. So much so that the children of Israel say, hey, Moses, we're not going near that. You go, we, we will listen to you talk, but we can't hear God talk. You go up the mountain and deal with him, and then you come back and tell us what he says. How long does it take? How long? What is this compact period of time in which they are delivered from Egypt? They plunder the country. They, they cross the Red Sea. They're delivered from the pursuit. There's manna and, and, and meat in the mornings. There's water from the rock. There's a pillar of fire by night. There's a pillar of cloud by day. They, they arrive at the mountain of God, rumbling, trembling, shaking. <laughs> 90 days. Three months. Three months. And Moses goes on the mountain and receives word from God, gets a lot of information, comes back, says, hey, here's some information. It's very important. And the voice of God says, come back up on the mountain, there's more. And he goes back on the mountain. Aaron remains behind. This time he's on the mountain for 40 days. 40 days. The mountain's rumbling and shaking. They're eating manna every morning. There's a pillar of fire. There's a pillar of cloud. It's all happening. We pick up the story in, in Genesis. We pick up the story actually in Exodus. So I'll get it there. 32. Verse 1, when the people saw that Moses was so long coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, come make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what even happened to him. And Aaron answered them, take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. And he took what they handed him and he made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. And then they said, these are our gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Ninety days. Ninety days. Ninety days of the manifestation of God in these powerful, vivid ways. They could see it. They could touch it. They could taste it. They could feel it. There was a pillar of cloud. Even as they're sitting there, <laughs> the mountain is shaking with the presence of God. <laughs> and they become impatient. I observe four things. That happened to us in the fight in the wilderness. When we're not sure what to do, when we're not sure how to act, we're not sure where to go, where, where we have somehow taken the vivid presence of God and transformed it into something unknowable and teach. When the divine things around us we have turned into the mundane, where we no longer recognize what God is doing. I think four things happen to us that we need to think clearly about. Number one. Trust the process. Trust the process. It's so ironic that God has been faithful to them in so many ways. That if they just sat down and made a list, if they just sat down and made a list of what God had done in these last 90 days, surely it would make them think differently and feel differently about this moment of uncertainty because they are in a moment of uncertainty. They don't know exactly what's happening. And so as you sit and you think about that, then you kind of settle into a space in which you recognize that they can't seem to think clearly enough to see what God has been doing. And then the greater irony is this, that at this very moment, God is speaking words to Moses that will open their hearts and lives to a whole new understanding of who he is. He's not doing nothing right now. He's actually 
downloading all kinds of things that will change. In fact, many of the things that you and I understand about justice and mercy are being spoken on that mountain. They continue to shape us today and our culture today. Talk about enlightenment. Talk about a gift. Talk about God pouring into his people. But they can't see it. I wonder how many of us have turned divine things in our journey into the mundane. I wonder how many times, God, if if you just took time today to say, listen, I'm going to sit down and I'm just going to write down some things that I know God has done in my journey and in my life. Where I have felt his presence, where I have felt his reassurance, where I've seen him work, where he, he showed those little kindnesses that come to us in the process. Because we're in the wilderness. And don't you wish the wilderness were cleaner? I mean, you know, it says in the Bible that Jesus went in the wilderness for 40 days and then he got out of the wilderness. Wouldn't that be nice? Just go for 40 days and then get out of it? If I were to ask you right now, what part of your life, what part of your journey would you say is not in the wilderness? I bet there are people, you you could tell me three or four places in your life, you go, hey, I'm not in the wilderness here. I'm not in the wilderness here. I'm not in the wilderness. Everything's working out. But then if I said, tell me three or four places in your life where you are in the wilderness, you could go, oh, well, there are those two. And I don't know about you, but I never feel like I quite get out of the wilderness. Like there's always some part of my life in the wilderness. Just me? Like, wouldn't it be nice if you just got in the wilderness for a little while? You said, okay, we're just going to boot camp in the wilderness here for about 40 days. Then we're not going to be in the wilderness for a while. And then maybe in two years or five years or seven years, we'll be back in the wilderness for 40 days. Wouldn't you trade that? Not how the wilderness works, is it? Caught between the promises we can see and the promises we can't see. (laughs) Trust the process. Ironically, I bet God, because here's what we know. If God is for you, who can be against you? In all things, God is working for your good. But you got to step back. You can't let yourself be caught in that space in the wilderness where the fight is on, where you're fighting with others and you're fighting with God and you're fighting with yourself. you got to step back and go, you know what? I've got an example of people before me, and I understand this, that when I think I see clearly, I'm not seeing clearly. And when I read their story, I'm like, what was wrong with those people? I mean, 90 days, come on. I have a feeling that if we had any objectivity about our own story, we would have the same sense. Because God is faithful. Trust the process. Number two, impatience is not your friend. Impatience is not your friend. I love the wonderful choices being made there at the foot of Mount Sinai by these folks. Because simply, what does it say? Because they could not wait any longer. They just got impatient. And we don't do our best work when we're impatient. We don't do our best. We don't make our best choices. And so here's what they're faced with. They're they're faced with this idea that not being able to wait any longer, they will take matters into their own hands. And it's an interesting set of choices they make in the middle of this impatience as they take it into their own hands. They choose to commit their lives to the gods that have enslaved them rather than the God that has freed them. 
Because the gods that have enslaved them, they can control and they are familiar with them. And they would rather be enslaved by the gods they know than be redeemed and freed by the God who requires some faith, some trust, some ability to believe even when we can't see. We're like that, aren't we? I will choose the gods I can see and the gods I can control and the things that are familiar to me because at least I'm able to do something. At least I'm able to move. At least I'm able to be in control. At least I'm able to make choices. But these are the very things that enslave us. Impatience is not our friend. We, we tend to choose over and over the worst possible things for us. And if we step back just for a moment, we can look at them and go, listen, that is not a good choice for me. This has bound me up over and over and over and over and over, but here I am again. I would rather choose what I can do versus trust the God who has promised to do good for me, who set me free who wants me to grow up and mature and gain depth and become a whole redeemed human being who is working every day to create me in the very image of His Son, Jesus Christ, who promises never to leave me but to empower me through the gift of His Holy Spirit. Why would I not choose this? I can only think of one reason. Because this is more tangible. Which leads me to point number three. The culture is calling. The culture is calling. So the, the people of Israel have, have been generationally in Egypt. Their parents have been there. Their grandparents have been there. Their great-grandparents have been there. They've lived in this culture for years and years and years and years. And they are saying in this moment, we want to be like them. We don't want to be different. Why do we have to have a God that we have to trust in by faith? Why don't we have some idols where we can just go touch them and see them and, 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 you know, make everything tangible? Why do we have to live this way? Why can't we be just in a few more chapters? They're going to demand a king. <laughs> just like, have you read it? We want a king just like everyone else. I'm glad we're not like that. I'm, not, I'm glad we as the kingdom of God, as the people of faith, are not saying... We, we want everything the culture wants. We, we want to reflect all the same stuff that the culture is reflecting. We, we want to have what we want when we want it. We, 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 you know, we, just, we just think we deserve it. I mean, it's hard. I don't think growing up there's been a single young person that ever grew up that didn't go, well, it's a church thing, man. <laughs> My friends don't care about all this stuff. They just do whatever they want. That's what I want to do. I want to do whatever I want. We don't outgrow that, do we? Okay, come on. I mean, I've been gone a couple of weeks. Maybe I'm out of practice. Maybe this is a depressing sermon. I don't know. Maybe you're looking up here going, wow, that trip was rough on him. He, <laughs> he looks bad, bad. He looks bad. We never get far from this. Man, this faith thing, it drags me down. I've got to please God. I envy these people that don't have that burden on them. And they just do whatever they want when they want it. They just think what they think, do what they do. They just go for it. How's that working out? I mean, I, sociologically speaking, I mean, we, 
we were told that if we could throw off this burden of you know, morality and the oppression of the church, this was back in the 60s, that life would just be free. It would be better. Individuals would thrive. We would see the fulfillment of humanity. <laughs> How's that worked out? But the culture calls us. It's calling them. 90 days into the process, miracle after miracle, tangible proof after tangible proof, they say, you know what? We want to be just like the Egyptians who have enslaved us for 400 years. We want to be just like them because we don't want to be different. That's, that's difficult since God has said, you are strangers and pilgrims in this land. You are citizens of another kingdom from which you eagerly await a savior. The call of the kingdom is different. It's different than, it's other than. It's not just like everyone else. You will be peculiar. It doesn't mean you have to be weird. Amen? It just means that in a peculiar way, we trust in a heavenly Father. We don't put our faith in these tangible things that are under our control. We put them in a God who loves us and invites us to walk by faith and not by sight. Number four. Desire is deceptive. Desire is deceptive. We want what we want when we want it. And when you and I begin to think about what it is that we need in our lives, when we think about what we're lacking, about what needs to get fixed, we're not thinking at our clearest. Amen? Let, let me break this down for you a little bit. Some of you have children. Some of you have grandchildren. I can handle delaying my own gratification sometimes. But I have a hard time when it comes to my kids. I want certain things for my children. Amen? Are you guys like that? Just me? I mean, I want them to behave in certain ways. Absolutely. I want them to choose certain things. Absolutely. I want them to, you know, embrace certain values. I want good things to happen to them. I have a lot of desires for my kids and my grandkids, a lot. I am not objective, not at all. This leads to not making great decisions in the way I speak to my kids and in the way that I speak to my grandkids. Yeah, don't leave me hanging. <laughs> because my desire to want what is good for them has no patience attached to it. I want them to get it right. I want them to fix it right now. And I'll help them because I know what to do. <laughs> Amen? I've lived a long time. I am called grandfather. <laughs> grand. I am a grand, grandfather. They don't actually call me that. They call me Papa because they wouldn't say things like grandfather. <laughs> but do I really know what to do? No. And do my desires allow me to be objective with them? No. I will say things and do things that are not okay. Because why? Because my desires are deceiving. The people of God above all else are people of humility. Amen? Let me try that one more time. We, as a congregation, are committed to be a people of humility. Amen? I mean, just because we think it, when we get our... I, I, let, let's apply this somewhere, okay? We're almost done. Let's apply this somewhere. 
Let's talk about politics. <laughs> you people. I guarantee you we could go around this room and there are people. By the way, it's always nice at the end of the sermon to say this because people are like, hey, I was bored a second ago, but now <laughs> see where this thing's going. <laughs> we could go around this room right now and people could tell us what needs to happen politically to fix this nation. Amen. Because we all got a few opinions about that. Amen. And I see people post about it. By the way, when you friend me on Facebook, I stay your friend. If it was five years ago or eight, I'm still on there. I still see what you post. I can only preach about it every week. I love it when I see a post that says something like this. The people of God better get it together. And they better go offend some people. For the cause of Christ. Well, which cause? Because there's a progressive church over here that's saying, we need to go offend everybody with our progressive ideas. And then there's a conservative church over here saying, we need to go offend some people with our conservative ideas. And here's what the confession ought to be. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I don't know what that is. But I'm going to live every day seeking it. Because my desires deceive me. And I'm smart enough to know that God calls me into a space when I'm in the fight. And when this fight starts to divide me up inside. And I start to get influenced by this reality. When I start to see the reality that I'm no longer trusting the process. I'm trying to manipulate the process. I'm trying to make God do some things. Instead of resting in a place where I trust Him. Instead, I allow my impatience to get involved, and I, I start to choose to take hold of things, to get in control of things, and to the humbly walking by faith. I'm supposed to humble myself and seek His kingdom first above all else, and that includes my own ideas and my own desires, because desires are deceiving. They're deceiving. Is there any higher calling in the church than as followers of Jesus Christ who recognize that on the continuum of faith, there's some people that are more over there and there's some people that are more over here. <laughs> but the one thing we ought to share in common is this. We seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and, and, and we sell out to that reality. However, it is manifest in our opinion within the scope of this scripture, we humble ourselves, we humble ourselves, we humble ourselves, we humble ourselves. The 46th Psalm, Hezekiah is facing the army of the Assyrians. They've already laid waste to the northern kingdom. They've arrived at Jerusalem, at the walls of Jerusalem. And for weeks now, they've laid siege to the city. It doesn't look like there's any way out, really. Hezekiah has dug a tunnel, maybe you know this story, from the guy on spring to the pool of Siloam. He's dug a tunnel, and he's hidden the spring so that water can come into the city. The spring's outside the city wall. They're holed up inside the city walls. And he dedicates that spring, that tunnel, with the words of the 46th Psalm. Be still, 4610, and know 
that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way, though the mountains are cast into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains shake with their surging. There is a river that makes glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her at break of day. Be still. Be still. How often in the middle of the fight do you sit in space where you just get still? And you trust the process. And you know that impatience is not your friend. And you know that the culture is pulling us in directions. And we know that we know that we know that our desires deceive us. So we're going to be still. We're going to sit in space and listen to what God has to say. And we're going to give a review of how he's been faithful. And we're going to trust that he's being faithful right now. Listen, that is true about the world in which you live. As the band comes back and we prepare to transition, and I hope to see you all at this concert upcoming. I want you to hear what I'm saying to you. In the midst of what's going over in the Ukraine and Russia, there is a process, and God is involved in the process. I wish he had just, you know, stepped into space with you and me and do some divine things. But I'm going to sit in space where I pray and trust that God's doing things that you and I can't see. And he's doing things in American politics that you and I can't see. Amen? It's a weak amen. And he's doing things in your family. And he's doing things in you. And when you're in the middle of the wilderness and you're in the middle of the fight, be still. Trust the process. Trust the process. Impatience is not your friend. Don't listen to the culture. Remember your desires are deceiving. God really is present. And he really is faithful. Pray with me. God, will you help us? We need you. In the midst of a world that so often seems out of control in the middle of atrocities and pain and suffering that is really beyond our comprehension. And in the middle of our own stories and our own lives and our own needs and our own worries and our own fears, we fight a lot. We fight with others and we fight with you and we fight within ourselves. And so today we humble ourselves. We're going to be still. We're going to listen. And as we sing the words of this song, we're, we're going to do some work with you. We're going to respond to your word. Whatever your Holy Spirit might have spoken in these minutes together, we're, we're just going to pray prayer. We're going to confess some things. We're going to ask for some help. We're going to step outside of our own subjectivity and ask you to help us. And we're going to pray with all of our heart, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody said together. Amen. Will you stand and will you lift this together? Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.